0: Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the emergency medicine podcast recorded at Dream Queens Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing mental status examination and suicide risk assessment. As ever, all um, information is correct at time of recording. All guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back to Take Orally. Uh Jamie Thomas, teacher fellow in emergency medicine here and joined once again by uh, Dr. James Ellison Hello! Hello James, welcome back Thank you. And uh, in this episode, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, mental status examination and suicide risk. Mm-hmm. So, um, in every specialty, we're taught specific examinations. Uh, we all know how to do a respiratory exam, cardiovascular exam. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when it comes to a person's um, mental status, a little bit harder, but we have our way of doing it.
1: Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, and I guess that as part of a, a psychiatric assessment, physical examination is still important. So we do still do a physical examination, um, but as, as you say, a mental state examination (MSE) is um, is part of the standard routine for assessing a, 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 a patient with psychiatric or, or psychological difficulties. Um, it, it's there to elicit the the current psychopatholo- the psychopathology of the patient. So. It, it's about the there and then um, things that are happening to the patient or their dis- the behaviors they're displaying. It's not about their past history. It's about what's happening there and then. And actually, it, it's not something that you do as an isolated thing. You take a history and actually through your history, you gain most of the details of your MSE through taking a history. You don't mm. do it as a separate entity. Sometimes sure. you might ask specific questions to complete it where you gather most of the information as you go along through history.
0: So it's like an under under thing that's going on in the background as, as you go along. Yeah, yeah,
1: and, and it, the purpose of it really is to distill down the, the current situation, the current psychopathology, which will help you come to a diagnosis. The history is really important, but you want to know then and there what's going on. So they might have a history of bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. um, and you ask them about their past episodes but it's the current episode that is going to um, inform what the treatment is. So, sure. so it's about distilling down what you you, you have seen, and mm. just like you have a very clear structure for a lot of things in medicine, you see, got Socrates for looking at pain. It's that um, there is a there's a very kind of standard way that you will record and describe a mental state, mm. and it's. Um, I, I don't even know. There will be mnemonics, I don't know a mnemonic. I just sort of learnt it and and I drilled it in. But it's very easy to, to look up on, on the internet the, the things that need to be in, included. But I can I'm going to go obviously go through them mm. in order um, so that we can uh, you know talk about why mm. these things are important for yeah. it coming to a formulation or a diagnosis of a mental disorder.
0: So is it fair to say that you reach a certain point? Um, if you've done it enough times even as a you know somebody in A&E who's mm-hmm. not a, a psychiatric specialist like yourself yeah. but you can get to the point of just as soon as you're approaching the patient as you sit down with them before mm-hmm. you've maybe even said anything you can start
1: yeah you can start doing that
0: mental health uh, De- st- this mental status examination
1: definitely yeah definitely so and and, and that the, the main thing, the first thing that the first part of the mental state examination is appearance mm-hmm. in it, its it is what what the patient appears to be. Um, and that's not about judging the patient. It's not about criticizing the patient. It's about thinking what about that patient's appearance might give some pointers to what's going on with them mentally. Sure. So um, you should describe, and, and this, this can either be written or, or a verbal presentation of a mental state examination, um, you essentially describe the person in front of you in as neutral a way as possible. So you wouldn't say, um, the patient presented as an ugly middle-aged man, you know, those you, know, you don't want any sort of value judgments or, or criticisms of the patient, but some things are quite important to, t- to comment on. So you want to comment on the gender of the patient and their parent age um, and, and, and their racial origin is, is important as well. Uh, it just gives a flavor, it gives the person that's reading it or hearing it a, a, an image of the patient. Sure. Um, it's also important because certain conditions are more, important, more prevalent in age, certain age groups or certain racial backgrounds. So those things are important to comment on. Um, you also uh, would want to comment on things like, and generally you'd only comment if there's something seemingly abnormal, you know you might want to comment on the hairstyle or their makeup if that was quite garish because that might point towards mania mm. um talking about their clothing is, is quite important if if the patient is wearing you know multi-colored fluorescent um track suit, you know that that again might point towards mania whereas if someone is wearing quite drab disheveled um clothes then that might you know say that they're neglecting themselves sure um Equally, clean, cleanliness of the patient's important. You know, are they maintaining their personal hygiene? Um, that can be, you know, if someone is dirty and camped and, um, and got stained clothing, again, it points towards perhaps they're not looking after themselves as much as they might and not taking pride in their appearance. Um, it's also, uh, this is the kind of sensitive one, difficult to, to, to comment on, is, is the patient's weight is, is, can be important. You know, if the patient is extremely thin, that's a very important thing to comment on if we're thinking about eating disorders. Sure thing. Um, if the patient is uh, extremely overweight, it's important to think about, about that, as that can play into what kind of illness they have, or it can, it, it, it just gives a, a general impression of the patient, but it's important to do that without doing so in, in, a, in an offensive way, I guess. Um, so that's, that's you know what the patient looks like. As you say, you can do that from the end of the bed, from across the, the bay. Really, you don't need to have done much to, to get that information. Um, equally, behaviour is is um, is important um, to to talk about. And again, a lot of that you can do from from a distance, um, but um, part of it you do need to interact with the patient. And 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 as as I said, you'll you'll take a history. Through that, you'll be able to say what the rapport with the patient's like, so how well they kind of get on with you, are they relaxed, are they cooperative, are they suspicious, are they guarded, you know, those kind of things. Um, it's important to, to know about those things. Is the patient over familiar? Are they, you know, uh, being disinhibited? Um, so that's about their, how they're getting on with you, how they're behaving towards you, mm. and how forthcoming they are with, with the information. See. So you can say that a good rapport is easily developed, or you can say that the rapport is quite difficult to develop because the patient's guarded, and suspicious, those kind of things. can I
0: mean, subtle things just like eye contact. Yeah. You know, look, like, you know, you know, or they talking to their feet when they were, yeah.
1: Exactly, so, you know, if, is it appropriate eye contact? Is it avoidant? Is it intense? Are they staring at you? Mm. All those things are important. Um, and you do comment on the, you know, if, if that's normal as well, you just say normal eye contact. Um, Then we we talk about their psychomotor activity. Uh, Generally, there's two two descriptions um, of abnormality. There's uh, psychomotor retardation and psychomotor agitation. Essentially, are they slowed down or are they agitated and jumpy and fidgety? Um, Otherwise, you'd say there's no evidence of psychomotor disturbance. Those things are important. If someone's got psychomotor retardation, that points towards things like depression. Um, and uh, if they are agitated it points to things like um, uh, mania but again you do see that in agitated depression as well so it, it all helps fill in the picture. Um, obviously movement disorders come under this so if there's tics, if there's choreiform movements, if there's a dystonia, um, which we often see in some patients because some of our medications do cause dystonias, it's important to um, comment on that and, and also just uh, it, it's part of the rapport and the attitude of the patient. But you know, are they hostile towards you? Or are they threatening? Are they you know? Are they clenching their fists or are they you know sat all relaxed? So um, it, it, those things are important in, in describing the patient's behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, the appropriateness, really, of the behaviour to the situation is, is what we're looking for, and, and, and then anything that's out of the ordinary is important. Um, Next is is speech and, and how the person um, uh, communicates uh, verbally. Now this is really it's really only like the physical characteristics of the speech because what they actually say the content is that comes under thought. You know that the content of the speech is a reflection of what they're thinking, but the physical characteristics of the speech is are they talking really fast? Um, are they talking really slow? Are they Responding minimally—is it just yes/no answers? Is that—that's what we call poverty of speech. So that they're not talking at all, um, or very minimally. Um, pressure of speech is the term we use if they're talking really fast and you can't get a word in edgeways. We we talk about that, and 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 are they going on at length about about things? That's quite important to know about. And then also we talk about the volume—if they're loud and shouting—that might be. Anger, or it might be mania, or you know, there's various explanations for loud speech. Um, equally, quiet speech could be that they're nervous, but it could be that they're depressed. Yeah. Um, and then we talk about the tone. Is there normal variation in tone, or are they very non-tonal and talking like this? That's quite <laughs> important. Thing to-
0: yes. Welcome to take orally. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, how fluent they are is important. Obviously, that, that depends on whether English is their first language Yes, um, And the rhythm is, is important. So o- often, for most people, we'll just stream off this. Speech was normally with the rate of volume. Yeah. Um, because that covers all those things. But if there is anything um, abnormal, we'll want to comment on that. So those are the main sort of um, things that you'd be able to get without really asking any specific questions, you yeah. can get all of that information out of the patient mm. or, or for your mental state examination. Mm.
0: And then you mentioned about thought, so then is this, I suppose, more, you have to to be asking questions of the patient and, and this is, you know, what are their ideas, what's their feelings, etc.
1: Quite true, yeah. Although, we have to stick to the rigid structure. Mood comes next. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, James. <laughs> People think psychiatry is very fair and we need some structure. Um, mood, mood or affect, as we call it, um, is next. And, and that, again, as you say, you do have to ask, ask that because there's a subjective element of mood. Um, how are you feeling today? What is your mood like today? Mm. And, and you should record that exactly as they say it even if it's got um, expletives in there. So, so that is exactly what they say their mood is. That's the subjective mood. Um, now, you also comment on their objective mood. Mm. And that might be that, uh, you're commenting on how they come across, what their mood appears to be, um, how consistent that is with what they report. So if someone says they're, oh, I'm feeling depressed today, but they're grinning ear from, from ear to ear, that's a bit inconsistent. And and also, um, you know, how appropriate is it with the context? Are they, you know, if they're really, really, really happy, but someone's just died, that seems a little, you know, Mm. those are the things you'll comment on. And so that's the objectively their mood appear to be. Um, If if their mood appears normal, obviously you don't know the person, but if it appears normal, the word we use is euthymic, a normal mood. and then affect, it, it's quite a nebulous thing that, that there's lots of different definitions for, for affect, but essentially it's, it's about how their expression of, of mood. So have they got? are they expressing their mood in a reactive way? Are they reacting to the situation, are they smiling and those kind of things? Or have they got a very blank facial expression, they're not giving much emotion away? So that would be sort of a blunted affect. Mm. Um, but Again, a lot these are sort of more of the technical um, intricacies, which are less um, expected of a non-specialist, you know. But it's important to know what we talk about when we talk about moon Sure. But now we do move on to thought. Yay. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. So thought, essentially, is as as we said, it, it it's it's the things that often they'll tell you spontaneously through. what yeah. They say. Hmm. But. You're gonna you're gonna ask specific questions mm. about about that, um, but so, so there's three different um, elements to the the, the thought. There's um, the stream of thought, and that's essentially the, the amount and speed of of the thoughts. So if you have pressure of thought, that is the thoughts can be really quickly abundant. They're Butting up against each other, blending into one another, and that is then shown through pressure of speech. Mm. Um, poverty of thought is that there's really like very slow or thoughts, not a lot of thought going on. And you see that in, especially in very, very severely depressed people, just, they're just not thinking, everything's just slowed down. And then there's something that you specifically see in schizophrenia, called thought block, where it's as if your thought has just been stopped. It's some people liken it to when you you were about to say something and then you forget what you were saying. Yeah. But it but it's very clearly felt by the person that something has blocked my thought. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's something that's important.
0: And is that something external that blocks it, or well, there can be
1: yeah, there can be a delusional sort of um, addition to to that. Mm. Um, But it's it's mainly. doesn't have to be, it's, it's just mm. my thoughts keep it and blocked is the word that they actually use. Sure. Um, and then there's the form of thought, and that's how the thoughts are linked together, and and the, 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 the edges between stream and form do blur a bit, but you might have heard of the term flight of ideas, mm-hmm. yeah? So flight of ideas is, again, where one thought will um, blur into the next thought, and it's it, because everything's going so quickly, you, you're flying between uh, different ideas. This will all come out in a massive verbal um, spiel that, that is difficult to follow sometimes, mm. um, especially if there's what we call loosening of associations, so the associations between thoughts aren't clear. Okay. Mostly when we talk, you can actually, if you looked at a transcript of what we were saying, you could see a logical stream of this is why this went onto this and this went on to that. Hopefully in this podcast. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> depends how much you edit it. Um, but someone with loosening of associations will talk about one thing and then talk about something completely unrelated. So but it that, makes sense to them. It makes sense to them, yeah. It's something called night's smooth thinking. And that's where there's there's no logical link between between one thought and the next, so they've gone up and across, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, other ways that the, the thoughts can be linked, especially in flight of ideas, you, uh, in, in mania, you'll see rhyming or punning, um, where patients will use the way that words sound to to link thoughts that might not otherwise be linked, um, and or they may become quite distracted. So, so it's important to say whether the patient's distractible or whether they can Maintain a stream of thought um,
0: an example of that that a consultant psychiatrist and I was a medical student asked, told me to look at is and this is you know cultural thing. Um, good morning Vietnam and to watch one of Robin Williams's when he's just talking down the mic and he just goes from one thing and then he, because it rhymes he goes on to another thing yeah. and then jumping around so yeah a very good film I recommend you watch it and then you go you can see you're doing psychiatric psychiatry revision as well
1: exactly exactly <laughs> um, and it's very hard to do if you it's very hard to fake yeah um, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of the symptoms actually that you see, if you see it really well performed by an actor, it, it, it's incredible, but so often not well done. Um, and that's why depictions actually in films of mental illness aren't always spot on because it's hard to do. Hmm. Um, the other thing pe- about the form of thought is perseveration. I'm not sure if you heard of that term. So mm-hmm. essentially, it, it's persistently repeating. Um, the same sequence of thoughts, um, and that can come out in speech or behaviour. So, if you perseverate on um, in speech, you give the same words or the same um, answer to different questions. Mm. So, you, and, and often you see perseveration in things like dementia, um, but you can see persever- persever- perseveration in behaviour as well, where people will do the same behaviour over and over and over again. It's like they're stuck. Doing the same, same, same thing, or and it correction. may be
0: appropriate sometimes. But then you change the question, and then it's not appropriate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: So they, yes, yeah, so they get them. They say, "What's your name, James?" Yeah. Where do you come from, James? Okay. That's the separation. Unless
0: there is a place called James. True.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, the third bit of, of, of thought is content. Yeah. So what what actually makes up their thought? Are they preoccupied with things? Are the things that are always you know, coming to them to their mind, are they quite morbid thoughts? Are they got negative thoughts about themselves? Are they thinking about suicide or self harm? It's really important to, to think about. Um, and and as I've said before, don't be afraid to ask about self harm or suicide. Um, are there um, delusions? Mm. We spoke about those in the previous podcast. Are they fixed untrue beliefs that that aren't in context with their at their, their cultural background, um, and um, if if you do if you do hear the patient say something unusual, try and explore it to to see whether that that is a delusion or whether it it's um, it, 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 it can be explained uh, another way. Um, obsessions as well are uh, in psychiatry we use a, a slightly different um, uh, t- uh, explanation of what. Uh, an obsession is an obsession in psychiatry are intrusive, recurring thoughts. So um, they're thoughts that the patient realises are their own, um, but the, the the main thing is that they don't feel they're in control of them. Yeah. And often, or, or they are what we call egodystonic. So they're distressing. They go against the grain. Um, so th- those are important. Obviously, in some of like obsessive compulsive disorder, the the, obs- the intrusive thought might be, "I have to clean my house," or something bad will happen. Yeah. Um, and then the compulsion is the act of cleaning the house. Yeah. Um, and then going on from that, compulsions are, are something. Although they're a behaviour, they're they're driven by the thought process. So it's important to to talk about or, or to document whether there are compulsions there as well. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: So there's a lot going on.
1: There is a lot going on, and and obviously you're not going to see all of this in one patient. No. But you need to be aware of the categories that can come under mental health or mm. mental state examination.
0: And then when you are presenting, so we've some, talked a bit about you would say I have seen Mr. Smith. Mm-hmm. He is a something year old man. Da-da. And then just going through is it as as we've yeah. talked about it yeah. there.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think the important thing is is try to avoid. Giving headings as well because it makes you look less slick. Okay. So you you just present it as a as a you know. Don't you go on a, as a So a, yeah. his appearance. You yeah. just go. He
0: is a. He, yeah, yeah. He is exactly. a yeah. Very skinny, dishevelled. Yeah. Yeah.
1: you wouldn't go thought. His thoughts were. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, it's practice, isn't it? I mean, exactly. Just did everything yeah. in medicine practice.
1: Um, so the next category is perceptions. Yep we talked about those in the, uh, when we talked about psychosis, uh, essentially you want to, the main thing is, are there any abnormal perceptions? Are there any things that the patient is hearing, seeing, smelling, feeling that, that aren't, uh, uh, aren't driven by a stimulus? So hallucinations are the big are the big thing to, um, to be aware of. But um, there are other perceptual abnormalities. There's illusions, which are it's a misinterpretation of a real stimulus okay you know, when it's dark and you see a dressing gown in the back of the door and you think it's someone stood there yes that's an illusion okay um but they can be um part, part of a mental illness can be entirely normal as well but we need to talk about that and also the the intensity and quality of normal perceptions as well so if all the colors the seem really really bright that might point towards mania mm. if if you know flowers smell horrible and smell uh, you know acrid, then that might be something we've seen in, in a psychotic illness like schizophrenia um, and often perceptual abnormality, abnormalities are mood congruent as well mm. so if someone's got psychotic depression that's severe depression with psychosis on top then they might smell rotting flesh yeah. because that's congruent with the way they so so they tie in together. Okay. Cognition is your next category, um, and really, for most patients that you see, it, you can just eyeball them, and, and you've you spoken to them, you know what, what's going on, you can actually say there's no cognitive deficit. Yeah. If you feel that there is, then you might want to do more, more digging. Mm. Um, you could do an AMT, um, a a mock up, some sort of cognitive testing to, to see uh, what's going on. But for most patients, uh, that you know, you just say cognition was intact. But what we're looking at is the consciousness. So that's their awareness of their self and their environment. Um, obviously, in um, something like delirium, you have clouding of consciousness, and uh, and that refers to sort of a vague drowsy, foggy um, experience. Of, you know, you're not quite connected, and mm. you'll see that in, in pa- patients with delirium. That is a good way to distinguish delirium from dementia, mm. because someone with dementia, they don't have that clouding of consciousness. They, they are, uh, they, they're conscious. They may not be completely aware of their surroundings, but they don't have that clouding. If that makes sense. Sure. Are they confused? Have they got muddled thinking? Is there Um, And you can describe what that is. Are they finding, you know, are they mistaking things? Are they uh, getting people's names wrong? Those kind of things. Um, Are they orientated? And we talk about orientation in time, person, and place. Do they know who they are, who you are, where are they? What time is it? What year is it? Those kind of things, um, which are important uh, to to be aware of. Obviously, these are more so in things like dementia. Mm -hmm. These are impaired. can they? Uh, have they got a good attention span? Can they do things like in the, in the in the mental state examination, which is a copyrighted cognitive test, which you're not supposed to use anymore? Uh, but they used to use a thing called serial sevens, which was taking away seven from a hundred and keeping doing that. That's to see whether you can actually have you got a attention span. Um, can you concentrate essentially? Um, and then memory is important, that's your sort of immediate memory, so you use digit spam, how many numbers can people remember, Um, and then you you might want to look at the more recent, uh, slightly longer term memory, but you know recent memory saying, can you remember this address, I'll ask you later, those kind of things. Um, And if you're doing Really going to town with your cognitive testing, you might do things like language testing and um, you know name common objects, those kind of things, or visual visual spatial functioning. The clock drawing is quite popular Um, test for uh, in dementia. So so those are for most patients um, outside of a kind of dementia or head injury setting. Most people's Consciousness or, or cognition and consciousness would be unaffected. So, so you, you would uh, that would be quite a quick thing to document. Um, and then the last um, part and, and r- really quite important is the insight mm. um, of the patient. And it's it's a difficult one because some people would say, how much does the it's the extent to which the patient agrees with the Healthcare professional. Yeah. But I think that's quite an unhelpful way of thinking about it because it's saying the doctor's right and the patient's wrong Mm. um, if they don't agree with you. Um, The way I I like to sort of explore it and say, um, well, you've told me some quite strange things and you're experiencing some quite bizarre experiences. What do you think the explanation for that is? And if they give you an entirely, you know, Delusional explanation that shows that their insights, insight's lacking. Yeah, um, but you wouldn't uh, you might say I, I, It sounds to me like some of the things you're experiencing might be a mental illness. Do you think that that could be? the case and they would say no 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 not at all and then that would suggest it's, it's lacking I, I personally don't think that anyone is completely insightless you know, so, so I would say that someone is lacking insight. I wouldn't say to have no insight. Okay. Because they're sat in front of you. Yeah. They, they might, you know, they might have a bit of a feeling that something's wrong. So it's rare to completely lack insight. Some, they'll know that something isn't right, but, but actually they might have very, very, very little insight. Um, or they might, you know, they might be completely aware of uh, that, that there's something wrong. They don't need to know what their diagnosis is. They don't need to be able to, they just need to know. Something like ain't right, and and it's probably mental illness. No. That's their level of insight. So, um, yeah, that really. Uh, th- so there's the there's the how much they agree with what you think um, in terms of are they mentally ill or not, and then also what what are their thoughts about treatment? Would they accept treatment, uh, a treatment plan that, that, that is appropriate, or would they reject that? So so that's something that's important to think about, obviously, because then you might need to. Think, Think about going down the mental health route, those kind of things. So, um, so insight is a it's a nebulous thing, mm. but it, it, it you know it when you see it. Really, it's like this person knows there's something wrong, and this person doesn't know there's something wrong.
0: Mm. Okay. Um, so that's our mental status examination, mm-hmm. and we talked talking going to get that's the the format we would then present it back. Um, I suppose we've already talked a a bit uh, uh, when we're talking about the mental health assessment about risk and and a person's risk themselves. We've already talked about broaching the subject of suicide. Mm -hmm. So, what you know, a patient may come to Annie and may come to yourself. I am suicidal. I am thinking about ending my life. Mm -hmm. How do we go about as a clinician to actually assess that risk of, of you know? Of of, uh, of to commit suicide
1: so yeah I think it, it it's a really important thing to, to ask about and always be aware about with anyone who's mentally unwell or distressed um, as I said previously you're not going to plant an idea in someone's head uh, everyone who you see will be aware of the concept of suicide so you're not going to increase the risk of someone hurting themselves um, so don't be afraid of Talking about it, but just do so in a sensitive way. Normalize it. You know, say that people um, are. You know, who are distressed sometimes say that they think about hurting themselves. Have you thought about that? Um, th- there are a variety of different um, factors that can make someone more or less likely to to hurt themselves or to end their life, um, and. Risk assessment is, is by no means a, a, a perfect science, and, and we sometimes get it wrong. But we use um, you know the evidence that we've got at our disposal to sort of make a judgment call on how likely an event is, as you do in other areas of medicine. Mm. I think that something that people feel about psychiatry is it's because there's no numbers, it's less less uh, concrete and less uh, definite. But actually. Uh, the numbers that you get from, from a blood test aren't, they're, they're just an analogue of what's yeah. going on the body. So, but because I, I think people who go into medicine and healthcare are from a science background, so they like numbers, they're confident. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, there, there are, there are kind of formal tools you can use, um, checklists and things like that. But really, um, in terms of an emergency uh, or generalist um, assessment, you, you, we wouldn't expect, psychiatry colleagues wouldn't expect you to, be, you know, have gone through a, a, an assessment tool type thing. They just want to know that you've asked the most important questions and know, know kind of the most important risk factors that are there. Um, there are kind of the, the patient factors that kind of about the the things about the individual that make them risky. So men are more likely to, to, uh, to die by suicide. Um, the young men uh, particularly but also old men so the two extremes the two uh, extremes uh, and uh, i think you know if you see a patient who is saying they're gonna kill themselves and they're uh, an 85 year old widow the alarm bell should be ringing mm. you know that's a really risky picture and and, and that those are the those are the things that you, you sort of, you get an idea for as as you do psychiatry and probably going, you know, working with liaison psychiatric colleagues you'll, these things will rub that off mm. to some extent. But yeah, so, so gender is a big thing, but also age, um, marital status. So married people um, are protected uh, more so, um, and then there is a there is a sort of um, hierarchy I can never remember whether it's divorced over, widowed or, you know, essentially just think about it logically. Have they got a support structure around them? Have they got people Mm. in their lives that are going to care for them? Um, Can they identify that? Exactly. Uh, So something we always talk about is protective factors. Are there reasons not to do this? If someone says, well, I wouldn't do it because because of my mum and my dad and my sister and my dog and you know there's all these positive reasons not to end their life that's a really good thing if someone can't identify any reason then that's 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 something that that kind of um, makes you a little bit more worried Um, obviously are they unwell is is a big thing you know if if they are mentally ill then that does increase their risk whatever mental illness we're talking about and is there a history of of them uh, doing things to hurt themselves or attempting to end their life in the past. Mm. The other thing is: is there a family history? Because actually, suicide does run in families. Um, if you are uh, the child of a of a parent who has um, ended their life by suicide, you're about two or three times more likely to attempt it yourself. Mm. So it it we don't know whether that's a genetic thing or whether it's because it's normalised the behaviour. It it's probably a bit of both really, but. It, it, it is something that runs in family, um, to an extent. Um, and then there's obviously just about the general, what's their life like at the moment? Have they got a lot of stress going on? Have they got poor housing? All those kind of things add, add in. So it's about what, what is this person like? Hmm. Um, and then it's about the severity of their illness. So although we typically think about um, uh, depression as the as the main reason that people would end their lives uh, with people with a range of mental illnesses will end their lives, but in terms of um, Depression especially it's about how severe that depression is so the the number of symptoms of depression that they have um, And the intensity of those uh, those symptoms how hopeless they feel hopelessness is a really important thing to ask about and do they perhaps have poor self control, are they someone who is impulsive? We see that in personality disorder, especially emotionally stable personality disorder, um, which might increase their, their risk. If the patient is psychotic, are they having command hallucinations that are selling them to hurt themselves? Um, and then are they using alcohol and drugs? Both, those can increase both things like impulsivity but also just increase the, the risk of, of self destructive behaviour. Yep. Mm-hmm. so in terms of what what they're actually thinking about how often are they thinking about suicide how intense are the thoughts can they dismiss them or are they persistent those kind of things because actually I firmly believe that thinking about suicide in, in itself isn't abnormal I think most people if they were honest with themselves have thought about suicide at some point in their lives but they can probably dismiss it quite quickly. It's just an idea that pops into their head and they can dismiss it and go, go on with their lives. But if they can't, if you can't get rid of that thought, well, that's quite a really thing. Yeah. Um, do they, are they actually saying, I am going to do something? Are they, you know, is there an intent there? Or are they ambivalent? That's another thing that's, that's kind of worrying. Mm. If they say, I'm definitely not going to do, do something, then that, that's reassuring. Um, have they got a plan? We talk about planning mm-hmm. and what, what they would do. And often patients will be quite open with you saying, oh, well this is what I would do, this is where I would do it, those kind of things. Um, and is what they were going to do quite a lethal method? So, we talk about a suicide attempt, if someone perceives it to have been lethal, that it was serious. So even if someone takes three paracetamol and they think that that's a lethal dose, that would be counted as a suicide attempt but the, the actual lethality is important as well, obviously. And do they have access to lethal means? You know, are they a farmer with access to shotguns? Yeah. Are they a, a pharmacist with access to, to, to medications and those kind of things? So access to, to means is important. Um, and is there a specific trigger? You know, something really bad happened that they might react to in an acute phase rather than, uh, you know, and once that, that's that gone, the, the risk might reduce. Um, so I, I really it's all about their the thoughts about what, what they would do and why and what would stop them from doing that mm. if they've done something uh, have attempted to end their lives then there's certain things that that might make it sound more risky um, if they have tried to stop themselves being discovered so if they've locked themselves away and done it when all the family are out that's quite a worrying thing whereas if they've they might have locked themselves away, but if they texted their friend to say, oh, I've taken an overdose, that's actually making provisions for their own safety, so that's less worrying. Um, likewise, have they taken uh, the, have them undertaken last acts or final acts? So have they written a suicide note? Have they got their uh, finances in order? Have they put their dog in a kennel? You know, those kind of things yeah, are actually yeah. quite worrying um, when you think about uh, how people, what people have done. So all of those things really come into um, formulating a risk assessment and, and I think that it's something that, that can be really anxiety provoking for staff because yeah. you're sort of making a decision based on a history, the patient might be, not be entirely truthful with you, they might be trying to conceal their real wishes and, and then you're making a decision about do I send them home, do I admit them, what do I do with them. Um, I think the important thing is to document really clearly what what you talk about, but also seek advice. It's mm. it's not that you know you shouldn't feel if you are if you don't know what to do. There's always advice at the end of the phone, um, be it from the liaison psychiatry service or from one of the psychiatry and core doctors. Um, so I'd encourage people to to you know not feel they have to make these decisions on their own. Is, is the
0: big mm. Thing. Mm. absolutely. I suppose. Yeah, you a, you develop a bit of a gut feeling as well, mm. with, the, with some patients.
1: Yeah, and and usually that's right, and, and sometimes you get completely blindsided. Yeah, um, but and and that makes people feel very uncomfortable. But mm. how many times does that happen in? Physical healthcare, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you know, you're pretty sure that some, you know, that the prognosis is this, and this is the diagnosis, mm. but then it's completely something different. But
0: there's a there's a phenomenon, I think, with suicide, and uh, maybe it's, it's part of the celebrity culture as well. Something like Gary Speed, you you. Uh, people put up his last perform uh, last time he appeared on TV and they go mm. "Oh, look in his eyes you can tell he was thinking and and things like that and then there seems to be a bit of an obsession and
1: yeah it's very There's a good, I guess it's glamorized The you know there's TV shows as uh, 13 reasons why and all sorts yeah. of you know things in the in the media about suicide it, it is a um, and, and I guess the internet is is part of it as well that there are sort of um, pro-suicide forums and things like that online um, there has been definitely an increase in, in self-harm amongst youngsters and I guess that's probably part of the media and, and internet um, coverage of, of those kind of things. Uh, actually the, the it's very difficult to tell because obviously you, you don't know what's going on inside someone's head, mm. um, and, and especially at that, that time. Cause most people will end their lives without other people around and you don't really know unless they've written their wishes down in the note but you know their thoughts and feelings and their message down in the note but the one thing you sometimes do see is it is actually calm before the storm it's sort of um people have made a uh they've decided what they're going to do and actually Mm -hmm. that has given them some resolution Mm -hmm. so ironically some people may seem to improve slightly in the day or so before Mm. and in the lives but um, you know again it's impossible to predict we don't Mm. have a crystal ball all we can go on is is what they've told us what's happened in the past and make our best judgment
0: and document document
1: document 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 document. if you
0: don't write it down it didn't happen
1: exactly exactly and and it as I say risk assessment and, and dealing with the risk it is part of medicine mm. in, in, in every specialty but in psychiatry you know this is this is our bread and butter really so if you do need advice yeah you know it's it is there for you but
0: mm. well, if you've done it right and you say you know the patient says that you know he enjoys spending time with his daughter. He's looking forward to this holiday. There's future planning and things. You know he has some enjoyment in life. Mm-hmm. You've asked those questions. You've done your job, haven't you? Just the same as a doctor doing an ECG for somebody with chest pain. You've you've done your job.
1: Exactly. I, I think the thing to remember though as well is it, actually seeing someone and, and talking through what's going on. It can be therapeutic and it can reduce some risk actually by. Mm-hmm. You know being there for someone but that it's not necessarily sustained so yeah. if you've seen someone and you are designed to send them home that doesn't mean that they don't need some sort of follow-up care yeah um, not everyone who has done something to hurt themselves uh, will need follow-up actually but um, you know it's worth discussing that with with someone from liaison psychiatry to to at least uh, consider whether that's something that might be needed in the long run.
0: Um, Any resources that you can point people listening towards?
1: Um, There are a variety of tools. There is a tool called the uh, TASR, so it's the Tool for Assessment of Suicide Risk. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, if you just uh, Google that, it's available via BMJ Best best Practice. Um, But really, in terms of a generalist approach, it's just about exploring the thinking around suicide and then discussing with someone from, from Layers and Psychiatry really is, is, is the best way forward. Okay.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much, James. Thank you. Bit of a heavy topic. But, uh, thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening. Don't forget you can find this podcast at www.takeorally.com under the Psychiatry um, heading. Uh, you can also find Take Orally on both Facebook and Twitter. For more information about uh, research and education opportunities in emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.